I want to uh, keep our attention focused on our series on one cry, the key to revival. I believe that the need in this land is for God to send a fresh move of his spirit upon our land, in our hearts, and in our lives. What is happening in our country today is not the result of a blowout, but the result of a slow leak. Slowly the air has been going out of the tires. And if we're not careful and if God doesn't step in, we will go flat as a nation. In a few weeks, I'll be in Washington, D.C. at the end of this month, and I will stand at the podium where every president has stood in the Congress to lead in prayer to begin that day. While we are there, we will go and visit the Eno Legay, the plane that dropped the first atomic bomb, which my dad flew home on. He was a part of that unit. We will drive by and visit monuments, many of them that have inscriptions of honor to God and praise to God for the founding of this nation. And yet, within the perimeter of Washington, D.C., are those who would seek to destroy everything on which this country was founded. In every city, in every community, in every state, there are those who, if left to themselves and apart from a move of God, will take away the freedoms that you and I have been blessed to enjoy. This country was founded not by all Christians. No one would dare say that everybody that founded this country was a believer in Jesus Christ. But it was founded by people who believed that there was a God who had blessed this land. Whether they were Christian or deist, here are the facts. With no more than five exceptions, those in the original constitutional convention were believers. 29 were Anglicans, 16 to 18 were Calvinists, two were Methodists, two were Lutherans, two Roman Catholics, one lapsed Quaker, and one open deist. Ben Franklin, in fact, called for public prayer and for the nation to make contributions to denominations. There was a point in our early days of history when the government actually considered sending money to missionaries to evangelize the American Indians. But today, we have taken God out of government, and we have taken God out of our conversation except to use his name in vain. I had thought that after 9-11 that there would be enough of a wake-up call that America would return to her roots and cry out to God to realize how vulnerable we were to a handful of terrorists that cared nothing about their lives or the lives of other people. Sadly, I was mistaken. While in the weeks following 9-11 there were churches filled with prayer meetings, immediately we went back about our business. And now we have a generation that knows nothing of our heritage, nothing of our God, and nothing of our history. A 13-year-old boy who lives in Memphis, Tennessee, was riding in a car with 
his parents just a few weeks ago, and they began talking about 9-11. And he said, what is 9-11? He had never heard in his public school one mention of a terrorist attack that it was in his lifetime, although too young to remember. It still had not been mentioned or taught the lessons to be learned from that event. According to polls, the majority of Americans feel we are headed in the wrong direction. We have a wholesale sellout to remove any and all restrictions on abortion and on same-sex marriage. The next issue that will rise to the front in our lifetimes will be because of the rise in healthcare costs, no matter what happens with healthcare issues politically. Because of the rise in healthcare costs, which by the way, by 2014, your tax dollars will now pay for abortions. What happens will be this. In our lifetimes, there will be legislation to allow euthanasia for senior adults and others who cannot contribute to society. And we will thus become Nazi Germany where we selectively decide who lives and who dies. We need revival. A nation cannot continue with the kind of national debt that we are putting on the backs of our children and our grandchildren. A nation cannot continue with political correctness where no one will tell people the truth. Nor can this nation continue when there are open discussions about allowing Sharia law to run side by side with constitutional law, which is philosophically impossible. For Sharia law would take us back to a seventh century barbarian mentality. And yet, that is on the tables and it is being discussed in many communities and in many states. Not in New York, not in Los Angeles, not in Miami, but the Dallas Morning News had a headline on Pastor Robert Jeffers, who's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, when he preached a sermon on Islam being a violent religion. This was the headline in the Bible Belt in Dallas, Texas. Dallas pastor's broad brush criticism of Islam goes way too far, end of quote. They called him, quote, uninformed, unchristian, and un-American, end of quote. Then they attempted to show that there is no evidence. Now listen, this is objective journalism. <laughs> they attempted to show that there is no evidence that Islam incites violence around the world, oppresses women, or in any way supports marriage to underage children, conveniently forgetting that Mohammed chose a nine-year-old to be his bride because she was, quote, chosen by God for him. You don't have to be around the Middle East long to realize the oppression of women, why the so-called feminists in America do not speak against this evil force is beyond me when if they have their way, every woman will be treated in a way that no American would say is acceptable. 
and yet it's driving its way toward our borders. There's now a denial among secularists and even some Christians that America was founded as a Christian nation. This is what former Judge Robert Bork called the slouching toward Gomorrah. But this is not the way we started. I want you to notice the screens, and I want to read you the constitutions of several of our founding colonies. Because if you read these as I go through them, here's what I want you to remember. Every one of our founding colonies and states are violating their own constitution right now. So, to take it another step and continue violating it is not going to be a problem unless God steps in. This is the Delaware Constitution, Article 22 from 1776. Every person who shall be chosen a member of either house or appointed to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration to wit. I do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God blessed forevermore. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. That's in the Delaware Constitution. From Section 10 of the Frame of Government of the Pennsylvania Constitution of 1776. And each member of the legislature before he takes his seat shall make and subscribe the following declaration. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good and the punisher of the wicked. And I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Article 32 of the 1776 Constitution of North Carolina. No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority, either the Old or New Testaments, or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state, shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit in the civil department within this state. Article 35 of Maryland's 1776 Constitution that no other test or qualification ought to be required and admission to any office or trust or profit than such oath of support and fidelity to this state and such oath of office as shall be directed by the convention or the legislature of this state and a declaration of belief in the Christian religion. We've fallen off a big mountain today. Prayer in school is unconstitutional. In most schools, Gideons cannot hand out a Bible. In two court cases in 1965 and 1981, freedom of speech and press were denied if the topic was religion. In Reed versus Van Hoven in 1965, it was declared unconstitutional for students to pray over their lunch. We can no longer talk about Christmas it is a holiday. We cannot talk about Easter. It is spring break. There's a prohibition of reading the Bible publicly during free time in schools. In 1988, the Bible was taken out of the Denver school system because it was considered 
pornographic. Schools are forbidden to sing Christmas carols. Our founding fathers meant to keep government out of the church, but not the church out of government. That is not the separation that they were desiring. The First Amendment simply reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You don't have to be a legal scholar to figure out what that says. It says we have the free exercise of religion in America, and there is no established state church to which all people must go. So what's the future? The future is America is heading toward a collapse unless we see a revival. One of the signs in Matthew chapter 24 of the second coming of Christ is that iniquity will abound. You don't have to read much of Scripture to understand that this world, not just America, but this world is headed toward a judgment. 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. 2 Peter 3, 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Revelation 21 and verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth pass away and there is no longer any sea. If you read Daniel 7 and Revelation 17, you will read about the last seven years of human history as we know it. There have been three institutions in America that have been given the responsibility for influence, government, business, and the church. And all three are failing. Government is failing, business is failing, the church is failing to be the influence that we were put here for. If you look at the seven last years of history, there will be a worldwide dictator known as the Antichrist who will preside over a 10-nation confederacy. All other national distinctions, laws, and constitutions will be abolished. Our constitution guarantees the right to elect our governing officials and to worship freely. The Bible clearly teaches that in the last days, this worldwide dictator will rise up without a vote, which means for Antichrist to come, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights of the United States must become null and void, and America must cease to exist as we know it today. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your children's future. It may be our future, unless God delays his judgment. Although we cannot prevent ultimate collapse, I believe we can postpone it. 
If you study history, the impact of Christianity on the Roman Empire, when the emperor of Rome was a homosexual, when the, most of the Senate were made up of bisexual and homosexual leaders, when the depravity of the land was running amok, and when Rome was on its way to decline, Christianity began to influence the Roman Empire, and it spared it, most historians would tell you, if they're honest, for another 200 years. Is it not worth it to pray for God to spare so that many might be saved? Is it not worth it for us to be burdened for this land that others could be saved, that we don't end up in the cesspool of history? Nations have been spared from the verge of collapse. When Wesley and Whitfield came onto the scene in England, France was already in a civil war. England was headed toward a civil war. And it is said by English historians that it was the intervention of Wesley and Whitfield and their preaching and the conversion of hundreds of thousands of people that spared England from a revolution. So you might say, well, why should we postpone the inevitable? That might be a good question. Except for, it's the same reason you exercise, take your medicine, and try to eat right. You want to live as well and as healthy as you can for as long as you can. I mean, if you don't want to do that, then just eat fried Twinkies every day and go on to glory. But the reason we take care of ourselves and when the doctor says you need to take this medicine for your health, the reason we go to the pharmacy and get that filled is because we know it is good for us and it is for our good. We're all going to die, <laughs> but we ought to at least want to live well while we're here. Paul lived in a godless society full of false gods, oppressive dictators, and hostility toward Christianity. But Paul stood for the gospel. He prayed for those who are in authority. By the way, have you prayed for those in authority this week? Or have you just griped about them? You see, me griping about them is not going to change them. I can vote to change who's there, but griping about them won't change them. But I know a God who can get into any room they're in and stir their hearts. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar. He could do it with our leaders. He could do it with Congress. He could do it with judges. He could do it with the president. He could do it with governors, with mayors, with city councils, with commissioners. He could do it, but we've got to start praying for him to do that. By the way, not meaning to offend anyone, but Paul did not try to organize the Tea Party. He preached Jesus. And people's lives were changed. I'm afraid that we have bought too much into the fact that if we can elect the right people, we can change this nation. Not necessarily so. It is not so much who is serving in office as who's God listening to and who is getting God's ear and who is getting God's attention. Are the people getting God's attention, the one that are defying him and shaking their fist at him and spitting in his face? Or are the people that are getting God's attention, the people that are crying out to God for mercy on a land that deserves judgment? for grace on people that deserve judgment, who love people that nobody wants to love. You see, there are three different attitudes about the future. We can be apathetic. 
We can be fearful or we can be hopeful. I choose that as long as God is in the equation, we can be hopeful. Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 12 said, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Paul said, I got in prison. I got to talk to people in, in Caesar's household. I led some of Caesar's household to Christ. This is to my advantage that I've been in prison for sharing the gospel. And the most brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. You need to note that the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus were both preceded by signs and by warnings. There are signs and warnings everywhere. Do not think that the election of a president in Egypt who is friendly, if not part of the Muslim Brotherhood, does not affect our Jewish friends. Do not think that what is going on in Syria on the border of Turkey does not affect our Jewish friends. Do not think that it is insignificant that we are pulling out of Iraq and Iran could overrun Iraq in a matter of weeks and is developing nuclear weapons while we say, we'll just put more sanctions on you when the sanctions aren't working. We're trying to be convinced that they are. But ladies and gentlemen, if Germany had gotten an atomic weapon before America did, they would have used it. If Japan had gotten an atomic weapon before America, they would have used it. And if a rogue nation led by a rogue leader who wants to bring in the end of time gets an atomic weapon, they will use it. That's not much of a hot dog and hamburger conversation, is it? It should wake us up. So what do we do? Where's our focus? Second Chronicles 7:14, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now God says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. The prophet Hosea said, sow with a view of righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Someone has said there is no cure for the darkness of midnight except the rising of the sun. We live in a generation that has never known revival and awakening. That does not mean it never can know revival and awakening. I will go to my dying breath believing that God still wants to, in these last days, have a move across this world that will sweep millions into the kingdom before Jesus comes back.
Haggai chapter 2 and verse 21 says, I will yet shake the heavens and earth. I stand with Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I was born to fight devils and factions. It is my business to remove obstructions and to cut down thorns, to fill up quagmires and to open and make straight paths. But if I must have some failing, let me rather speak the truth with too great severity than for once to act the hypocrite and conceal the truth. Three things you need to know. First of all, our actions or our inaction will have consequences. Our action or our inaction will have consequences. Secondly, our praying or lack of praying will have consequences. Our praying or lack of praying will have consequences. And thirdly, crying out to God or not crying out to God will have consequences. I'm grateful to live in this land. I'm proud of our heritage. I'm grieved by our present condition. I'm grateful for men and women who serve this country and fight for a freedom that quite honestly by our actions against God we don't deserve. Last night I sat at my house and looked at pictures of a woman and a baby who had walked across a crocodile infested river to get out of Zimbabwe and to get to freedom in South Africa. And while doing so, watched relatives be eaten alive by crocodiles because for them, freedom at the risk of dying was more important than staying in the bondage and then the oppression that they are in. And yet we live in a land where we will complain about the temperature how sad that nobody will have to cross a crocodile-infested river to come celebrate freedom tonight. But oh, when we get there, will we understand that freedom is never free. It comes to a praying people. It comes to a broken people. It comes to a repentant people. And so as we stand to our feet, these altars are open. God is calling us to call on him. And the prophet Jeremiah says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God is calling on us to call on him. God is inviting us to welcome him back into our land to call on his name, to cleanse our land, to cleanse our country from the sin and the oppression and the bondage that we are rushing toward. God calls on us to make a difference. We are to be the church, salt and light in this world, in this community, in this nation.
As we say in the movie, the, the Courageous, where are you, men of courage? Because you see, it takes a courageous man to bow his knees. It takes a courageous man to admit, to admit his desperation. It takes a courageous woman to say, this stops. We're not going to have this anymore. It takes courage for us to stand and to make a difference. It takes courage for us to call out to God and admit we can't fix all our problems. Only God can fix the issues of this land. And so as the choir sings, I'm going to ask you to come. There are men at the front. If you need to come to be saved today, there are men standing here at the front that will pray with you and show you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But all of us today, with heads bowed, calling out to God, God, send revival to this land. Send an awakening to this land. Return us to our roots. Return us to God. Return us to our faith. Don't let us continue down this slippery slope with no guardrails.